Can you imagine Oregon? Beautiful Oregon. It's the time of the year, though, that these little green snakes come out. There were some college students walking. One college student whose name was Donna. Donna Cook at the time. She later changed her name and changed her identity, I think because of this incident. Um, she's in a new program. I can't give her last name because of this, Brawley. Um, <laughs> but uh, she's walking with a couple of the guys, and she says something to the effect of, wouldn't it be funny if someone took one of those snakes and put it in one of the professor's briefcases as they were headed to class? They get to class. Uh, Dr. Drulinger. Dr. Drulinger comes. He is a beloved professor at the school. He has opened up his briefcase. And one of, the one of the students asks him a question, so he turns away. And one of the other students, one of the male students, because Donna will not touch a snake, in fact, we had a little one come in a year ago into the hallway and forever Sid's sons are Donna's heroes because she ran and found them and said, get that out of my hallway. And they did. So she, they put this little green snake into his briefcase. Now Dr. Drulinger goes, class, before we start, I just have a confession to make. This time of year gives me the willies. I know those little snakes won't hurt me, but they freak me out. I am so scared of those little snakes. I don't want to have anything to do with them. They are scary. I don't like them. And he goes, oh, I'm sorry, I just had to get that off my chest. Then he turned to the board. As he starts writing on the board, this little snake picks its head up above his briefcase and starts looking around. Its little tongue going. The class, of course, erupts in laughter. He turns around and goes. What's up, class? Nothing, sir. Okay, so he turns around, starts riding on the board. Little snake comes up. Next thing you know, he hears the laughter, the giggles. He turns around, what's going on? Snake goes down. Nothing, sir, nothing's going on. Nothing's going on. Third time, however, he turns around. A snake! Donna? Did you do this? Donna goes, Sir, I would not touch a snake. I know that, but you know who did it. <laughs> she hasn't changed much in all these years. Uh, one of the students 
grabbed the snake, got an A for the rest of the semester, I'm sure, and put it out. Fear. Fear. What are you afraid of? Are you afraid of snakes? Of spiders? I have a t-shirt at home that says, um, what doesn't kill you will make you stronger, except for bears. <laughs> bears will kill you. So obviously, whoever wrote it was afraid of bears. Uh, heights, public speaking, or maybe private speaking. Hey, I can speak to a large group, but don't ask me to speak to someone in groups of two or three. That's where I get kind of freaked out. What scares you? What makes you go, oh, how about angels? Do angels freak you out? You say, ah, no, no, not angels. Not angels. Come on, Pastor. Angels? You know, I, I've watched that old series, Touched by an Angel. They all look like Monica. No. Oh, yeah? Then I have a question for you. How come every time angels are mentioned in Scripture, they're always mentioned with the phrase, fear not. Don't be afraid. Hmm. Angels aren't necessarily cuddly. They're not teddy bears. In fact, if you look with me in our passage today, if you would look with me in Luke chapter 2, Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 9, notice what it says. An angel of the Lord appeared to them. Luke chapter 2, verse 9. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were, in my translation puts it, terrified. That is, scared on steroids. They were scared spitless, is how we would say it where I grew up. But the angel said to them, don't be afraid. Why? Why? Because I bring you good news. Good news that will cause great joy for all the people, today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. This angel had the good news. This news that would cause great joy. Did you catch that? For all people. The angel and his group came to bring the world's greatest birth announcement. But he had to get them over their fear. Now after he told them, notice what goes on. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared, and the angel praising God, saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. We've been traveling this journey following the star and today we continue this journey we're going to look at the one who brings joy 
And as we look at joy, we notice that joy is connected to our journey because it's connected to our person, the person Jesus Christ. I want to walk through three aspects of joy with you this morning, that joy and pain coexist. I have something here. You may notice I keep something like this up by me all the time. Anytime you speak, you always need to keep water. We take it for granted. You go to the store, you buy water. Have you ever thought about how silly that is? You know, I, I wonder who thought this up. Yes, we will bottle water. They can go to a tap. No, no, we'll bottle it. And we'll sell it. And we'll get rich. Why? They can just go get it from a hose. It doesn't matter. They'll want it. And we do. We buy cases of this stuff. But we have our own little well here. You know, we have a little uh, salt system that we... Dennis jumps in the salt and we make it soft and drinkable. And you go, and we, we don't think much about water here in the United States, except when we don't have it. Where I grew up, we, we, there were times we didn't have it. We don't think about that. But what about uh, the Dominican Republic, where we just sent a team? We've sent some teams in the past to build a water plant. Have you ever seen video of, of, of places that finally got water that didn't have water? Have you ever seen what happens when they, for the first time, get water? You think it's the 4th of July. Yes! The dancing comes. Oh, yeah. I'm a preacher, not a dancer, okay? But the dancing comes. The joy is on their face. They are just like, yes, we've got water. We've got water. But I have a question. Did it fix all their other problems? Nope. They still got other problems. They're, some of these places are still, they're still dealing with all these other problems. But they've got joy. In the midst of pain, the joy on the... But how can they do this? You see, for most of us, we think that joy means that I don't have pain. But think about it. Is joy really the absence of pain? Does joy truly mean that I, I, I don't have pain? In our fallen world, joy and pain exist side by side. In fact, there's no way to separate them. Our lives are a constant balance of joy and pain as we walk through life. In fact, often the pain or struggle magnifies the power of joy. And I think that's something the angel is getting at for us. He says, don't be afraid. Why? Because you're going to have joy. So what's causing fear in your life? 
Where's the pain in your life that seems to overshadow the presence of joy? What feels like it's spinning out of control? These are the places that these words are meant to penetrate. This is why this message is for you. The message that is shared, don't be afraid. You don't have to fear. And it is for you. And the great joy is found not in a concept. Not in a hope. But in a person. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior. You see, for you and I, joy is a person. Not just an abstract concept. In fact, James takes it a step. In James chapter 1, verse 2-4, through 4, he says, Consider it pure joy, brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know the testing of your faith. Faith in who? Faith in Jesus Christ. Faith that has been bought by His sacrifice on the cross. Faith that He has given you. Faith in Him produces perseverance. And let that perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Really? Facing trials is joy? Come on, Pastor Greg. If you've been smoking some medicine marijuana, what's going on here? This sounds totally contradictory. What do you do? You fake it? You put on a... a is it encouragement? What are you saying? I'm saying that even in the midst of the deepest hardship, there's a longer, broader view there's a view that you and i as a follower of jesus christ a view that shows us our trials lead us to grow our trials are the steps that we take to become mature in our that growth is not fun that growth still can be a growth that has joy with god we grow to experience a sense of joy that comes from understanding that there's more than the pain we're facing there's a deeper reality at work. There's an unseen source of life flowing within us that can nourish and refresh, refresh and cleanse and renew us much like that clean water in the place of hardship and sickness and death. So, what does this joy look like and feel like in our daily lives? Remember that illustration I used just a minute ago of those people in the village who get the, the water for the first time. In that illustration, they're never alone. They're in a village. So important. Too often we try to be lone ranger believers but that's not how we're made we're made to go through this journey with brothers and sisters in Christ why are we starting divorce care 
because we don't want any of our brothers to go through that alone. Why do we have small groups? Because we don't believe that you have to go through the Christian life alone. We have been created to be people of the pack. Not the solitary bear that goes and hides in its cave. You say, but pastor, really? Really? The good news of great joy. Did you hear what the angel said? It is for all people. It's life-giving joy meant to bubble over and touch others. It can't help it. Everyone has a chance to embark on this journey of joy because Jesus came to save. He came to bring a reconciliation between God and humanity. And you know something? When humanity is a chance to reconcile with each other and become that which Jesus desired us to become. In fact, the coming of Jesus and the promise of His second coming are a source of joy to all creation. Scripture tells us that creation groans under the burden of sin. I mean, look at our world. It groans under the burden of sin. Look at the scars it bears. Redeem an entire world from sin. The good news is for everyone. Joy is uncontained and uncontained by borders and governments and nationalities or races. Jesus has come to bring life where there's death. Hope for the hopeless. Healing for the brokenhearted. He will set the captive free. In His first coming, He defeated death, sin, and the grave. And in His second coming, He will right every wrong. He will bring an end to the effects of sin and write the final chapter against evil. His coming will bring chicks. Let the heavens rejoice. Let the earth be glad. Let the sea resound and all that is in it. Let the fields be jubilant and everything in them. Let all the trees of the forest sing for joy. Let all creation rejoice before the Lord for He comes. Fear and pain isolate us, but joy brings connection. And the joy of Jesus' coming goes out into all the earth. And we who are His are connected to Him and, his, and to each other. So what is our response? Our response is worship. What do you do when joy interrupts your life and sets up camp alongside the mundane and the painful? How do we live until Jesus comes again? Well, sometimes it's easy to embrace joy. Sometimes our struggles and hurts are so overwhelming that we are trapped and bound by our fear. Joy can feel so far away, so distant. For some of us, it even feels impossible. But the Bible gives us some appropriate responses to joy. And the first is worship. I would suggest that worship always can jumpstart joy as we fix our eyes on God and His greatness rather than our immediate problems or fears. Remember the Christmas story, the angel announces the good news of great joys, joy and, and, and then the entire host 
praises God. And then the shepherds immediately went to see baby Jesus. And when they do, they, they worship Him. Then they leave telling everyone. And then Matthew tells us that the wise men, when they arrive, this is how they respond. Matthew chapter 2, verse 10. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary. They bowed down and worshipped Him. I want you to think about that for a minute. What that must have looked like. You've got shepherds breaking into song. Later on, you have wise men exotically dressed, sages kneeling and bowing and praying aloud. And they let the message of God's joy sweep across them. Oh my goodness, what that must have looked like. It drew them in. It lifted them up until God's life-giving flow of joy. We can experience that. Listen to how Peter said it. 1 Peter 1.8 Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. And even though you do not see Him now, you believe in Him and are filled with inexpressible and joy, glorious joy for you are on the receiving end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. But you know what? You may be sitting here today and say, Greg, that all sounds good. But that's not where I'm living right now. I don't live there. I'm in a place of pain. I don't, I, I don't sense joy. But may I suggest a couple places to begin. First, I want you to begin where the angel began. He said, I will... I'm bringing you good news of great joy, for unto you is born a Savior. Is Jesus your Savior? He may have saved your soul. Some of you he may not have. Some of you have never come and bowed before him and said, Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I know I need to turn to you. And if you haven't, we would encourage you to do that. Meet us at that, at that lighted Christmas tree afterwards, there's some people who would love to share with you how you could make Jesus your Savior today. We would love to talk with you about that. But some of you have forgotten that Jesus is your Savior. You've been so overwhelmed by your circumstances you have forgotten that not only does he save your soul, but he saves you. And that you need to take a moment to rediscover the greatness of your Savior. You need to remember who he is. You need to remember you can't put him in a box or in a manger or on a mantle. He is the star-shattering, sea-calming, earth-shaking, life-giving Lord of lords and King of kings. Maybe you need to rediscover him and bow down to him again. Maybe you need to take a moment and take time today, secondly, and simply be thankful. You know, gratitude has a way of reminding us of joy and the reasons why we rejoice even in the midst of pain. Philippians 4, 4 puts it this way, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I will say it, rejoice. 
I love that word rejoice. It's a verb. It's an action. It carries that prefix of repetition. It's, it's joy practiced. It's repeated. And when God has filled you with joy in the past, we need to remember why. What are His graces and good gifts to you today? And what is He doing in your life? Focus in the ways He has and is showing you His goodness. Write a list if you need to. Read it. Reread it. Carry it through your day. Let it prompt your prayers. Let it, let it prompt your gratitude. And thirdly, let's worship God the Father for who He is. You know, the circumstances of life steal our joy, but even the darkness of times, we can worship God our Father, not for what He does, but for who He is, His eternal love, His faithfulness that never changes despite an ever-changing events of our lives, His goodness, His mercy which never run out. And when we're feeling so small and all alone, even when we see the rest of the world turn away, we have a God who says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Let us become lost in His majesty. Let us marvel at His holiness. Let us ponder His greatness. For when we gaze at the wonder of God, when we glance at our problems, things start to take the right shape. And joy becomes ours once again. Rediscover your Savior. Rediscover your God. Remember what He has done. But you know, the problem is many times is our hearts are just too full. They said he ruined Christmas. Little Wally. Wally was nine, but he was still he was a lot bigger than all the other kids. But he was so kind hearted. He wanted to be a shepherd, but the teacher had other plans for him. Wally Perling. Teacher said, Wally, you get to be the innkeeper. Now, when Mary and Joseph come, you say, and so he did. The night of the performance came up. He was lost in the wonder of it. They had to have one of the teachers just hold on to his back. Kimry, have you ever had one of those students? You know? Had to hold on to his back as he kept wanting to wander on the stage. Wow. But then it was time for Wally's part. Mary and Joseph come, the little girl with the pillow, you know, don't they? Joseph comes and says, Sir, sir, would you let my, my wife and I in? We're so tired and she's going to have a baby. Be gone. The inn is full. But we're so tired, sir. 
Now, Wally's a good-hearted kid. He looks at Mary. He looks at Joseph. He forgets his lie. The prompter goes, Be God, the inn is full. Be gone, the inn is full. So they turn, and Mary and Joseph are playing it up. And you can see a big tear rolling down Wally's face. Little kid, his big old heart's breaking. And then he ruined the show. Because he yelled this. Stop! Wait! Mary and Joseph, their eyes got big. <laughs> this wasn't what we did in practice. They turned around. He goes, I got it! You can have my room! <laughs> I personally don't think he ruined the show. I think he got Christmas right. You see, friends, if you want to discover joy, you need to set aside the busyness and tell Christ, you can have my room. You can have my room.